Good afternoon. You're listening to 90.7 FM, KALX. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Rocks. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, we'll be discussing current developments in the world of science. In addition, we'll be joined by Mr. Scott C., who will tell us about the amazing everyday invention, the Baniki. Also, Jimmy Lin will join us to tell us a little bit about portable data technology. So stay tuned for all this, plus the world-famous question of the week, coming right up here on Berkeley Rocks. To Berkeley Rocks, I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Excellent. So what's going on uh, with, uh, you know, we're a couple weeks out from the uh, governor's race. So. Oh, yeah, the governor's race. <laughs> or what, the, a, what a deal, huh? Yeah, it's uh, always quite fun to see things like that happen in a state <laughs> that you enjoy living in. but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Sunshine State. Yes. Uh, so this... The first story I have is actually a tribute to uh, Dr. Warner Goldsmith. Dr. Warner Goldsmith, who who was he? He was a uh, mechanical engineering professor here at Berkeley. Passed away. Right, right. And uh, he's famous for uh, several things. One of which is uh, the textbook called "Impact: The Theory and Physical Behavior of Colliding Solids." Oh, okay. And uh, according to people in his field, it was a hit. It was a hit. <laughs> yeah, it had a deep impact. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it did. Uh... I've I've had many impacts with solid bodies, not of my own accord. People throwing stuff at me, yes. Uh, of course. But uh, apparently the, the military was very uh, interested in this book because it sort of defined how, you know, how bullets could penetrate armor and uh, various ballistics. Okay. But the other thing he's also famous for is uh, he was the chairman of the Head Injury Model Conference of the National Institutes of Health. And what they were dealing with was how to uh, how to define, you know, the biomechanics of the head and neck injuries. Oh, Okay. Right, so better understanding of how you know you could uh, hurt your neck, hurt your uh, hurt your head, and um, from his model, he, they're able to figure out if babies had been shaken to death either by violent means or by natural means. Right. And one one indication would be like you know damage to soft tissue at your neck. Right. How 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 would a baby be uh, shaken to death by natural means? I'm just not. Uh no, but you would have symptoms. Right. Which seem similar to uh, shaken, like you know you would have bleeding in the head. But it would not be accompanied oh, I by, see. say, you know, right. damage to your other okay. tissues. So there, there are certain indications just based on his, his right. feeling for like how solid should behave. And right, right. And I guess these uh, this evidence is used to uh, either implicate or uh, exonerate certain people from mm. trials. Okay. Well, so I guess the the thing is, read that book if you're gonna if you're gonna impact somebody. Yeah, if you want to impact them. But uh, I guess if you want to know more about his work with uh, injury, just uh, look him up uh, with the uh, National Institutes of Health. Okay, well, if you, if you want to get off the disturbing topic of uh, solid impacts and uh, the like, shaking babies. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, what about uh, warm, salty blobs? Warm and salty blobs. Do you like your warm, salty blobs? Mm-mm, like gummy worms, right? Those are, those are certainly... A little bit salty. Salty, certainly blobby. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you might, if you go to Europe, find very warm and salty blobs. Wow. Yeah. What kind of blobs? 
Well, these are these are huge mounds on the surface of the planet of uh, on the surface of the moon. Okay. Of Jupiter's moon, which is, so these are large. Uh, so these are very large blobs that are found on Euro- Europa, which is one of Jupiter's moons. Uh huh. And uh, what these things are, it's they're just these big mounds. They look like mountains almost. Okay. Uh, about a hundred kilometers high. Right. And a big question has been, how do these mounds actually form on an otherwise very smooth-looking ice surface? Huh. That's a very interesting question. It is. And uh, researchers for some time have postulated that perhaps Jupiter might be exerting an influence by gravitation, churning up the liquid that's probably underneath it. Oh, okay. And perhaps lifting up the ice. Right. Actually, however, uh, planetary scientists Robert Papaldo and Amy Barr have proposed, though, that if you add salt to a little bit of the water, uh-huh. that could give it enough buoyancy to actually raise oh, fairly wow. high. Yeah. Were they able to do some model tests with this? They did a few model tests, and they said, you know, you could easily, easily uh, push up uh, uh, mountains as high as 100 meters. So. That's bizarre. It is. It is certainly bizarre. Um, but it doesn't sway some planetary scientists like Richard Greenberg of the University of Arizona. He says that uh, it's kind of inconsistent with the cracks in the ice that, are, that have been described mm-hmm. thus far. Hmm. So it seems unlikely that uh, such things could permeate all the way to liquid water. So if anyone wants to know more about this? So if anybody wants to learn more, it was reported at the recent American Astronomical Society's Division of Planetary Sciences. All right, last week we were talking about chili receptors on your heart, right? That's right, the chili receptors that sense uh, your heart attack. Yeah, but you know what might just go well with that? Uh, I have no idea. Curry. Curry. Actually, the active ingredient, uh, curcumin. Curcumin, okay. Right, the, uh, the bright yellow stuff that makes curry so good. Oh, okay. So it turns out um, this this compound, irreversibly, <laughs> so it turns out that curcumin can bind to... Uh, Aminopeptase N, which is an enzyme that spurs tumor uh, growth and angiogenesis, that is uh, the growth of the blood vessels. Okay. So by uh, inhibiting this particular enzyme, you're preventing uh, tumors from growing and from uh, extra blood vessels from forming. Oh, I see. So so it, it, it inhibits the enzyme by binding to it and preventing it from doing its thing. Right, right. And this was something that was recently uh, discovered early. I mean, people have known this for quite some time, but it was not until recently that the curcumin had this uh, actual effect when they did some uh, tests on colon cancer. And uh, this was carried by, work carried out by Ho Jong Kwan, a uh, professor of biosciences at, at the Sejong University in Seoul. Well, I, I can tell you just from empirical experience that after eating you know, a good curry, and they got great curries here in Berkeley, after oh, yeah. eating a good curry, I know my colon is being cleansed. Yeah. It's, it's just that good. Mm-mm. So if you want to find out more about that. Uh, they can go to a recent issue of Chemical Biology, Volume 10. Well, so do you, do you like your curcumin with uh, with deer? With deer meat. Yeah. Wow. Oh dear. Oh dear, indeed. <laughs> could be interesting. Yeah, it it could be very good. I mean, I'm always going for the exotic, I guess. Well, what if what if the deer was infected by chronic wasting disease? Chronic wasting disease? You mean the thing that makes it wasted away? It it actually well, it's a neurodegenerative disease, so it's wasting away its brain. Actually. Oh. Uh huh. So uh, this is a disease that's related to um, mad cow disease and scrapies. Okay. It's basically carried by these misfolded proteins that are called prions. Prions, right. right. And uh, essentially what they're finding out now is that uh, the transmission of these types of disease actually occur horizontally, as they call it, between separate groups of, uh, of, of animals. Huh. So before it was just thought that uh, things like prion 
these sorts of diseases were. It was thought previously that these types of diseases were spread mainly between like familiar groups, um, mothers giving it to their children, right. and such. But uh, recent research by ecologist Michael Miller of the Colorado Division of Wildlife and veterinary pathologist Elizabeth Williams of the University of Wyoming have shown uh, that animals that are raised in two separate groups but brought together mm-hmm. wind up actually contracting the disease and, in fact, both, uh, both dying within the same amount of time. Oh, dear. And that suggests, in fact, that uh, horizontal transfer of prion diseases are actually one of the main modes of transfer for this kind of thing. Huh. So do they have any suggestions on what uh, measures can be taken to uh, you know, stem these losses? Well, they don't have any measures as of yet, but uh, the indications that these sorts of things are being in- passed through saliva and feces might give them a possible route to actually mm. halting the progress of mm. these types of diseases. Indeed. Yeah. And, and of course, just don't eat any of their brains. And <laughs> you're fine as well. Right. And if you want to find out more about this, they can take a look in the recent edition of Science. All right. And I guess that's all for this week's look at current developments in the world of science. You're listening to Berkeley Rocks only here on 90.7 FM. Coming up, we still have tons of good stuff from undergarment technology to portable data storage. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Berkeley Rocks, only here on 90.7 FM, KALX. Well, combating the forces of nature and gravity is a challenge for all of us as the years begin to take their toll. But for some parts of our anatomy, at least, there's hope. Well, joining us today for Everyday Inventions is Mr. Scott C. He is a partner of Bikini Fashions, who will tell us about the amazing everyday invention, uh, the Baniki. Uh, Mr. C., thank you very much for joining us today on Berkeley Grox. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, so, Mr. C., uh, tell us about this invention, uh, the Baniki. Uh, what, what is it? What is it supposed to do? Well, the Baniki, uh, and it's B-I-N-I-K-I, kind of a play on words of bikini, it's more affectionately known as a butt bra. Ah, 
Uh, and what it is, it's a, it's a waist strap. It's worn underneath clothing, and it has two adjustable straps that kind of hook underneath the, the thighs and around the buttocks and lifts them up and gives a little support. Uh, we also call it the, uh, the rear-end uh, anti-gravity device. <laughs> Seems like a, a good enough name for it. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, and we're very grateful to the likes of uh, Jennifer Lopez and others who have given uh, given everyone a, a healthy appreciation <laughs> for uh, you know curvaceous uh, rear ends again. I, I think uh, everyone has certainly uh, come to that uh, aesthetic appreciation at least. So, so how did this idea come about? And uh, well, the inventor is a uh, is a psychologist in uh, in Southern California. Actually, no longer practicing now. She's doing uh, this beniki thing full time. She had uh, years ago. She had lost some weight and found that uh, her rear end was not quite as perky as it used to be. Hmm. So she tried a variety of things, uh, you know, with using tape and string and this and that. And after uh, really four four years of of uh, tinkering with this and trying everything under the sun, she came up with the beniki. Um, Patented it, and now it's being distributed all around the world. Wow! So, so have any uh, celebrities been uh, using the Beniki yet? Or they are. Oh, is that right? We don't know who though. Ah. Because <laughs> we did get a purchase from a uh, like a personal, uh, you know, personal shopping service oh, that right. celebrities use. Right. You know, they're not. They're obviously not going to tell us who they purchased the Beniki on behalf of. But some celebrity out there is wearing a Beniki, and you know, maybe we should host a contest to see who can figure out who. Ah, we might be seeing it in the movies soon. It's it's out there somewhere. Or or maybe even the governor's office. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That's very possible. <laughs> so so you did mention a little bit about uh, what what the bikini looks like, but can you can you sort of elaborate on how it works and uh, what was it? Well, you know, really to to wrap your mind around it, the the best thing to do is see it in action. And we've got a lot of uh, before and after and with without shots on the website, which is benikifashions.com. And and it you know again it's a it's a undergarment that you wear underneath clothing and works best obviously with you know relatively tight fitting clothing to give a little curvature back wow. where you generally don't uh, look but everyone else is looking well we had we sent us some uh, samples and we had a few of the staff members uh, try it on and uh, there certainly was a noticeable you know albeit not scientifically verified difference um, <laughs> but I'm curious so this this invention should probably work for anybody who wants to try it is there limitation it, it really should work for you know for just about uh, for just about anybody you know actually it's been very well received in uh, Japan. Oh really? Because the Japanese tend to have flatter rear ends, and mm -hmm. you know they want to have a little curve, you know, more curvature too, and so that it's been uh, very well received there. But we've actually been getting distributor inquiries from uh, the Middle East, from uh, Myanmar, from all over Europe, all around the world. Wow! It, it there's really nothing like it. I mean, the you know the bra has been around for a hundred years, but Nobody's ever done anything for the rear end. Right, right. Well, I, th I think it's really about time. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, our goal is to make the better place, uh, the world a better place <laughs> to live. And if we can, you know, have a little, some more uh, cute butts floating around out there. I, I certainly think that would, that would be one thing that would do it there. Uh, well, Mr. C, uh, we're just a little bit out of time here, but uh, I just want to thank you for joining us in Berkeley Grocks. And, uh, again, for anybody who's interested in finding out more about the Beniki, where can they go? Uh, it's uh, Beniki, that's B-I-N-I-K-I, BenikiFashions.com. Or if you search for Beniki in any search engine, there's not a whole 
lot else out there other than some misspelled <laughs> bikinis. Right, right. So that that's Baniki with the opposite of the bikini. Exactly. Yep. Okay. B-I-N-I-K-I. Okay. Uh, well, again, thank you very much for joining us today on uh, Berkeley Grogs. Well, fantastic. Thank you for having me. I it, sure appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And and if anyone is interested in trying out the bikini, uh, we have a few samples uh, to give out. You can give us a call here at 642-KALX, 642-5259 in the 510 area code, and we'll send you one, and you can impress your friends and family. Thanks a lot, Charles. Wow, change the world one butt at a time. Well, this reminds me of a quote from uh, the world's oldest person. I, I believe it was the French lady who uh, who passed away at 126. Uh, she said something like, I have one wrinkle, and I'm sitting on it. And for those of you out there interested in trying out the Baniki, you can certainly contact us here at 642-5259 or email us at grox at hotmail.com. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Jimmy Lin will join us to tell us about portable data technology. So stay tuned. Back to Berkeley Grocks. Well, on this week's technology review, we have Jimmy Lin to talk about portable data storage. Jimmy? Thanks, Frank. So today I thought I'd talk about the, all the various ways you can transfer data on a physical uh, medium from one machine to another. Uh-huh. And, you know, years uh, past, there's essentially only one option, which was the floppy disk. Oh, I thought it was a brain. Well, there could be that too, but, um, you know, the floppy was popular from, you know, the 1980s all the way up until the mid-90s or so, but um, its biggest problem is is that's been stuck at 1.44 megabytes for years, uh-huh. and that's woefully inadequate right. for today's large files. Right. And for a long time, there wasn't a one successor to okay. the floppy, and today there still isn't, but there are a lot of uh, devices out there that are starting to uh, gain widespread acceptance. Probably the device that's most 
likely to succeed the floppy in terms of uh, transferring data from one machine to another is um, these USB flash drives. Oh, those keychain ones, right? Right. So they're you know they're small enough. They're, they're like the size of a small cigar or a small highlighter that you can attach to your keychain. Right. And and they hold some flash memory, typically 32 megabytes all the way up to 256 megabytes. And the nice thing about those is they plug directly into the USB port of your computer. And if you have a PC that's running Windows Me 2000 or XP, or if you're running Mac OS X, you don't need any extra software uh-huh. to be able to read or write to these devices. You just plug it in, and it just appears as a floppy or another hard drive. Oh, okay. And then you can just copy files in and out. Right. And it's much faster and more robust than a floppy as well. Also, you could use these small uh, flash memory cards that are popular for use inside of digital cameras. Mm-hmm. The problem is that there are so many different types yeah, last I counted, I can afford them. At least. The most popular one right now is Compact Flash. That's used a lot in cameras. Mm-hmm. There's also Smart Media, Multimedia Card, mm-hmm. Secure Digital, XD. You know, there's kind of a mind-numbing array of uh, formats. Yeah. So like I said, Compact Flash is pretty popular in cameras. Secure Digital, or SD, is used in, in quite a few PDAs, such as uh, Palms or Pocket PCs. Mm-hmm. And so besides being able to store data on those devices, you can buy a reader Mm -hmm. that you can plug into your machine and then take those cards and stick it into the reader. And then it also appears like another drive. Right. And so the tricky thing is what type of reader do you buy Mm -hmm. um, and what type of cards do you get? There are actually six-in-one readers. There are readers that take all six types of the most uh, prevalent Mem- uh, memory formats. I should also say there's also the memory stick by uh-huh. Sony. So you can plug it in to your machine and then be able to read those cards that way. So that's another way to transfer data from one machine to another besides mm-hmm. using a network, right. which of course is these days the most popular way. Well, Jimmy, thanks a lot for telling us a little bit more about these compact memories. Okay, thank you. Okay, and on this week's product review, we have the Store and Go. It's a USB drive made by Vervatum. Available from 32 megabytes all the way up to 1 gigabyte. It's in stores right now, so check it out. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. Coming up, find out why your electric plug has three prongs. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to Perfect Rocks. Well, I guess it's now time to plug in to the Everyday Science Lady. Ever wonder why some plugs have three prongs? The answer can be found in Everyday Science. Whether or not a plug has two or three prongs usually depends on whether your appliance has a plastic case or a metal case. A plastic appliance like your radio typically needs only two prongs, while metal appliances like your microwave oven usually need three in order to make them safe. To find out why, let's follow a current of electricity through this microwave, which is plugged into the wall. When somebody turns the microwave on, the electricity flows from the electrical supply in the wall into one of the two regular prongs on the plug, up the wire and into the microwave. It then travels through the microwave, back down the wire, and into the wall through the second prong. This continuous circular path, called an electrical circuit, is what keeps an appliance running. But what about that third prong? That's what keeps the appliance grounded, which means, literally, it connects the case of the appliance to a metal pole or water pipe somewhere outside the house, which is embedded in the ground. See, if a wire in the microwave malfunctions or becomes overloaded, it could be very dangerous because the metal case conducts electricity. And if you touch it, yikes, don't do that. If you did, electricity would enter your hand and flow down through your legs until it hits the ground, and that would be one heck of a serious shock. Good thing our microwave had the third prong, allowing any wayward electricity to travel through it leave the house and flow safely into the ground. Well, thanks for plugging in today and for being a part of Everyday Science. Everyday Science is part of Bayer Corporation's national education program, Making Science Make Sense. Wow, what a deal. No charge for the third prong. And now, of course, it's Cowboy Bob with the answer to last week's question of the week. Yee-haw! This is Cowboy Bob right back here again with the answer to last week's question of the week. Woo-wee! Well, you know, I stink, and boy, do I stink. But you know whether it stinks was that stinkhorn fungus. And I was wondering, what's the big deal about that stinkhorn fungus? Yee-haw! Well, it turns out that the stinkhorn fungus is one of the fastest-growing fungi out there, and that's the crazy thing about the woo stinkhorn fungus. P.U. Wow, you are so stinking, Mr. Texas man. And and now here's the Tokyo Kid with this week's question as a week. It's very, very, very large. What is it? It is the largest planet in our solar system. If you know the name or think you know the name, please email us here at uh, groks at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but you'll know where to stare in the sky. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grocks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grocks, email us at grocks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grocks, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon, and stay tuned for more music with your host, Mr. Pixel.